This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you are doing well. It is a delight to be at Christian Chapel. It's actually just a delight to be home this weekend. We're gone a lot. It's been a super busy season for us, but it's wonderful to be here today, to be with all of you. Uh, We love this church. Um, Lisa and I go different places in town, but we go here a lot because you have four of our grandchildren that attend here regularly as well as our daughter and son-in-law, and we're very proud of them. I think we have some in the room. Uh, My wife is here, my daughter, my son-in-law, Sammy, Abby. Would you guys all stand up, please? Yeah. Yeah. Just proud of them. They're awesome. James and Benjamin are somewhere else, but uh, uh, we pray for those where they are. And uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's a delight also to be with Pastor Chris. We appreciate so very much his leadership of Christian Chapel. This is a healthy place. It's a good place. It's a wholesome place. It's a loving place. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. And this church is a loving church. And uh, we, we are just so very grateful for the ministry that goes on here in Tulsa and all the outreaches that happen from Christian Chapel. You're a community-minded church and around the globe. Your missions giving is uh, prolific and we're very grateful for you. Uh, a lot of all of that, uh, since uh, Chris has been here, I, I noticed on the door of his restroom, he has youth pastor, co-pastor. He's got all the signs from his past journey at Christian Chapel. But uh, would you give it up for our pastor, Chris and Angie? We love that family very, very much. We thank God for you guys. It's an honor to be here this morning. I'm going to share with you today a key scripture that has um, sort of impacted my heart over the last six months. In fact, um, the Lord has really been chasing me with this scripture. I, I pray I can download it to you and let you reflect on it in the days ahead. I might say that uh, about two years ago, I walked into a church here in Tulsa, and um, the Holy Spirit said to me right in the middle of the morning service, I'm looking for some place to visit in this city. And um, my prayer is that Christian Chapel will be a place where the Holy Spirit can visit with us in a big way. If you agree with that, would you give God praise this morning? Amen. We want you here, Holy Spirit. We want you in this place. So this morning in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, uh, a concept that I had read over many, many times over many, many years, but had never, it had never really struck me until a few months ago. I'm going to send you, Jesus said, what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, other versions say endued, but that word actually means clothed. In fact, in the Greek, it means to fall back into and be clothed upon with. Literally, to be covered, to be clothed. Father, I thank you for this opportunity today to be in this room. I ask you to help me communicate your word. We love you, Jesus. We welcome your presence here, and I ask you to do a work in every life in this place today. Help us put on the clothing you've given us so we might stand before you but also be effective before men. Cover me today in your spirit, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. 
Well, in the Garden of Eden, it seems that Adam and Eve were covered with the power of God. In fact, God's presence clothed them, covered them, and concealed them. In fact, uh, early on in the Garden of Eden, they did not know they didn't have any regular clothes on they, because they were covered in God's presence. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, something happened, and suddenly they realized that they were naked and that they needed clothing. And so they got fig leaves together and they created their own skirts and uh, covered their nakedness so that they would not be vulnerable, they would not be exposed, they would not be naked. However, even in their own works of covering themselves, they still felt exposed before God. And so one morning, God is coming through the garden, as he did oftentimes, to fellowship with his crowning creation, man and woman. And when he comes through the garden, Adam and Eve run and hide from God's presence. In their hiding, God seeks for them, and he says, where are you? And they come out, and they said, we hid from you because we knew we were naked. God said, who told you you were naked? When I left you, you were covered in my glory. But because you have sinned, of course, God knew what had happened. And Adam and Eve had transgressed against God. And in their transgression, they had found shame and guilt and condemnation. And because of that, they had tried to cover themselves, but it didn't work. They still felt afraid before a holy God. They still felt vulnerable, exposed before God's presence. And so they tried to hide themselves. I believe God demonstrates to us in this occasion uh, uh, some great lessons. First of all, we can never cover our own sin. No matter how much we try, no matter how many works we do, no matter how good we are, how many times we go to church, how many praise songs we sing, how much we give in the offering, how good we are to people in our community, how many good deeds we do, we can never take care of our own sin. We are still vulnerable, naked, exposed before a holy God and unable to stand in his presence by our own works. Now, this is difficult for us to get through our minds because some of us somewhere in our psyche sort of believe that in heaven there's going to be this big scale. In fact, some of the religions of the world believe this, that there's going to be this big scale. And on one side will be your sins, your transgression, and the other side of the scale will be your good works. And if your good works outweigh your sin, then you can go to heaven. However, that doesn't work because God teaches us that our good works are as nothing before him. They could never be enough to take care of the wounds of our sin on the heart of God. And so in that moment, God taught Adam and Eve that they could not cover or take care of, or fix their own sin. You know, sometimes also we think that uh, sin has a statute of limitations. We think if we sinned 20 years ago, that's in the past. We don't have to worry about that anymore. But that's not true. Unconfessed sin has no statute of limitation. It follows us for all of our life and follows us in eternity until we confess our sin, forsake our sin, and give it to Jesus Christ. So God demonstrates in that moment how he would take care of sin and how he would give us clothes that we might stand in his presence. God takes an animal. 
he kills the animal, he sheds the animal's blood, and he brings the skins and clothes Adam and Eve. Scripture says it this way, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God made them special, God-ordained, God-designed clothing by the shedding of blood. Again, God teaching an eternal lesson that in order for our sins to be covered, in order for us to stand before a holy God, in order for us to not be naked and vulnerable and guilty and condemned, blood would have to be shed, demonstrating that someday his son would shed his blood on the cross of Calvary so that you and I might wear the clothing of Christ's righteousness and stand before a holy God as if we had never sinned, be justified by trusting in what Jesus did on the cross and our sins could could be covered by the shedding of blood. In fact, this word in the Old Testament atonement, the day of atonement was a time when the sins of all of Israel would be forgiven by the slaying of an animal and the shedding of blood in either the temple or either the tabernacle or the temple later on. This word atonement means covering or to cover, to cover. When Jesus shed his blood, he made a way for our sins to be covered and for us to be clothed in the righteousness of God. We give up our unrighteousness and we take on the garment of his righteousness. We give up our filthy garments, our, our stained garments, our garments that are tattered before God. And we put on a royal garment of the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in him. We're clothed with his righteousness. A story is told in the Chicago Tribune uh, several years ago about a skydiving instructor and one of the people he was instructing in a city called Mount Dora, Florida. Michael Costello was instructing a young man, a young adult named Gareth Griffith of how to skydive. And Gareth had graduated to the point where he was going to skydive alone. So the plane went up to 12,000 feet. Gareth, the, uh, the protege, the young man, the person who had learned how to skydive, jumped out of the plane first. And behind him then was his instructor, Michael. He jumped out of the plane second and was watching as Gareth was going toward the ground. Along the way, Gareth pulled his ripcord as he had been taught to do and had seen many times how it was done from his instructor. He pulls the ripcord and the chute does not open. He'd been, because he was new, he also had a, uh, an emergency chute. So he grabbed that cord and pulled it and nothing happened. And Gareth, a 21-year-old young man, is plunging to the ground. He looks back up, of course, panic on his face, despair. He realizes he's done everything he knows to do and nothing has worked. In the meantime, Michael has opened his chute above him and is cruising, floating to the ground and notice what is going on. All of a sudden, he cuts off his chute. He goes into a nosedive. He dives as fast as he can. He reaches Gareth before he reaches the ground. He grabs the young man he's been teaching. He holds him tight. He turns his body, and the instructor hits the ground first, instantly perishing. Gareth breaks his spine but does not die and lives to tell the story. He was saved by his instructor. 
Now, I want to say to you, Jesus saw us, the Father saw us plunging toward our destruction, in fact, plunging toward hell. Because of our sins, we were going to die eternally. We were plunging. There was no way we could do anything. Man had done everything he could. He'd done everything he could to save himself, to rescue himself. Jesus saw that, and so he went into a nosedive from heaven into the earth. He became a man. He suffered the cross. He died so you and I could be saved. He grabbed us and gave up his own life so you and I could live forever. And that, my friend, is the gospel that in Jesus we are clothed with his righteousness. Amen. So because of the cross, we are clothed and can be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, if you're in this room this morning and you've never put your full trust in Jesus Christ, and you're trying to cover your failures, your sin by your own works, it is futile. It will never work. You can never do it. You will, the rest of your life, be working as hard as you can, and you will still feel vulnerable, naked, and guilty before a holy God. The only way you can stand before a righteous God eternally is to trust what Jesus did on the cross for you. And allow him to put his arms around you and rescue your life and cover you, clothe you in his righteousness. So on the cross and because of the cross, we who were dressed in sin and dressed in unrighteousness can put on the clothing of righteousness. But Jesus, in this passage in Luke, talks about another thing, something else, he said. In fact, he says, I'm going away to the Father. He'd already told the disciples, I'm going to pray for you to have a comforter. Now in this moment, he's about to ascend to heaven. He's given the great commission. He's told them to go in all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of every nation. And then he says, but, but don't leave Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, again, this really struck me. I, I've preached on Acts 1 and 8. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth, or the uttermost, uh, uh, the very ends of the earth. I've preached that many times over the years, and I'd preached this passage, but never exactly understanding what Jesus was saying, that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can be clothed with power. In fact, he says to the early church, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you put on this clothing of power, this supernatural clothing. Wow. As Christians, we can put on supernatural clothing. It's invisible clothing, but it's real nonetheless. When the Holy Spirit fills our life and when he comes upon us, this word is used over and over again in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were clothed with the Holy Spirit. This word again in the Greek, clothed, is, is a word that means falling back into this clothing or the same sort of word that is used for baptized where you're immersed, you are covered, you are clothed with power, clothed with power. In many ways, we normal people become supernatural people by the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we put on this invisible garment of the Holy Spirit, and that garment makes us supernatural people. It's sort of like Clark Kent going into the phone booth and coming out Superman, right? 
Or it's like the whatever the inventor guy's name is going into his laboratory and getting in the Iron Man suit. You know, you get in the suit. <laughs> there you are. He can fly. He can do things he could never do before. He can see what he could never see before. He can do actions he could never do before. This is true with the Holy Spirit. We normal people that have believed in Jesus can now be filled with the supernatural power of God from on high. The same anointing, the same power, the same Holy Spirit that made Jesus supernatural makes us supernatural so we can affect the world for the glory of God. You ought to clap right there. That was really good. Maybe one demonstration of this is in the Old Testament where Elijah the prophet goes to Mount Horeb and he's praying about what to do. He, he's afraid. Jezebel's chasing him. Uh, the rocks break. The fire comes. God's not in any of that. And finally God whispers to him. And Elijah listens to what God says. And, and in God's whispering, God says, one of the things I want you to do when you come off this mountain is find a young man named Elisha to take your place. If you're tired of all this, I'm going to take you home. So find somebody to take your place. So he comes down. He goes looking and finds Elisha. When he finds Elisha, Elisha's plowing in a field. There's 12 yoke of oxen. He's behind the 12th uh, group of oxen. And he's walking along, plowing, working the field. And in that moment, Elijah takes his cloak. Uh, we think it probably was made out of coarse hair, maybe even some animal skin, maybe even camel's hair. People believe, some believe that Elijah duplicated, I mean, that John the Baptist duplicated this by wearing camel's hair uh, and duplicated the clothing of Elijah. We're not sure, but Elijah was wearing an animal skin. It was a cloak. Now, a cloak was sort of a, a big overcoat that fit on you like a poncho sort of, and this was his outer garment. This is how people know, knew him. This is how they could see him. This is how they knew it was the prophet. He wore a particular kind of cloak. In that moment, he takes the cloak off and he touches, he, he drapes it around this young man, Elisha. And when Elisha is touched by this outer garment, something happens. He says, wow, what was that? And he says to Elijah, he said, if you'll wait a minute, I'll follow you. Elijah said, well, whatever you want to do. He said, I didn't ask you to follow me. He said, no, no, something touched me right now. He said, this anointing, this power, this glory, uh, this cloak, this garment that was on you touched my life. I want that. So he goes home. He kills the oxen. He burns up the plow, and he follows the prophet. And for years, he follows Elijah the prophet and is his servant. Till finally, Elijah's nearing the time when God is going to take him home. And Elisha, the young man, is with him, and they cross over the Jordan River. Elijah takes off his garment, his cloak. He hits the river. They go across on dry ground. God backs the river up and allows them to go across. Supernatural power, supernatural miracles are happening in the ministry of Elijah on a regular basis. He is clothed in God's power. The cloak represents that, but really it's the power of God on him. Finally, he says to Elisha, what do you want? You won't let me alone. You won't leave me alone. You follow me all the time. You're driving me crazy. What do you want? He said, well, I want twice what you have. What's on you? I want two times that. So really what I want to be is your son, which means I'll get my spiritual inheritance as a firstborn, which is twice as much as any of the other children. I want twice as much. I want to be called your spiritual son. So Elijah said, well, if you see me when I'm gone, when I'm taken up, 
you can have it. If you don't see me, you can't. Can you imagine? Elisha then every day of his life, his eyes are this big. He won't go anywhere. He's hanging really close. He wants this anointing. He wants the power that's been on Elijah's life. And all of a sudden, a chariot of fire one day comes from heaven. It goes in between Elijah and Elisha. And when Elisha blinks and the fire has dissipated and the chariot is gone, Elijah, the prophet, is gone. And God takes him home to glory. And floating through the air or maybe laying on the ground, is the cloak. The young prophet goes over and picks up this garment that had covered Elijah and takes it as his own. In fact, he tears his clothes because he plans on wearing the prophet's covering now. He takes the prophet's covering and he goes back to the Jordan River and he, he wads it up like Elijah had done. I can sort of see him folding it just like Elijah had done. Then he takes it and he hits the water and he says, where's the God of Elijah? And the water backs up and he goes across on dry ground. And the plowboy has become a prophet. And he puts on the cloak of God's power and anointing. In many ways, the same thing happened with Jesus. For three years, Jesus walked under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He would say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me. Another passage would say that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good, healing all that were afflicted or oppressed by the devil. Jesus was covered. He was clothed with the power of God. For three years, he did not operate in his own strength. Yes, he was the supernatural son of God. For 30 years, he was born of a virgin. He was, he was the Son of God and Son of Man at the same time. But when the Holy Spirit came on him, when he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and the Holy Spirit came on him, descended upon him, and remained on him, he now had the anointing, the supernatural anointing of ministry. And during that time, he was clothed with the power of God. So Jesus says to those that are following him closely, that it made it all the way to the Mount of uh, Ascension. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. This cloak I'm wearing is coming down. Now, it took 10 days for it to fall to earth, but on the 10th day, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. The same Holy Spirit that had covered Jesus, the same power of God that was upon him, fell in the upper room, and 120 people were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They were filled from the inside out, and they put on this clothing of power, and all of a sudden, normal fishermen and tax collectors and, and people that would walk the streets just like you and me, just normal kinds of people, started doing super natural things. God began to use them in dramatic ways. People were healed. People were delivered. Demons were cast out. At one point, just the passing of the shadow of Peter caused people to be healed and demons to be cast out. At one time, they would take cloths from the body, give it to somebody, and they would be healed. They walked in the supernatural power of God. They took up the cloak that had been on Jesus and put it on themselves and wore the supernatural power of the Spirit and changed the world for the glory of God. Wow. Wow. But what about you and, and me? What about us? Are we willing to live covered, clothed with the Holy Spirit? Oil in the Old Testament was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Again, Jesus says, I'm anointed. The Holy Spirit has anointed me. God has covered me. 
He's clothed me with this. In the Old Testament, when you anointed someone, it was a pretty big deal. You usually anointed someone to be a prophet, a king, um, minister in some, in some regard, okay? And um, when you anointed someone in the Old Testament, you didn't do it quite like we do sometimes in church. You know, sometimes we anoint the sick with oil, and usually it's one little spot, and you put it right there on their forehead. You know what I'm talking about, right? Just right there. Old Testament, not that way. They would take a, a vial of oil and they'd just pour it on you. Now, if you'd like that done, just line up. No, I'm just kidding. Not today. I've always been hesitant to do that. I was afraid somebody would sue me for ruining their clothes or something. No? But th they didn't care. They just poured the oil on you, demonstrating that God's presence was covering you. When Aaron was anointed as the high priest, he, he, the oil was poured over him. It was poured upon him, so much so that this Psalm uh, 133 says it ran down on his beard and down on his garments. God's presence, represented by the physical emblem of oil, was covering his life. When young David was anointed by Samuel, Samuel poured the oil over him. And the Bible says from that day forward, the spirit of the Lord came on David from then on. This oil was life-changing. It was atmosphere-changing. It was world-changing. For Aaron, it was uh, very aromatic oil. In fact, it was dramatically smelly. So much so that if Aaron were to come in the room right now wearing his priestly garments, you would smell him before you saw him. Seriously, this was a very highly aromatic thing, the oil in the Old Testament. And it was all poured all over him. His garments were drenched in it. He was covered in the oil. You would smell him when he came in. You ever had somebody that came in your office or your house and they were wearing a lot of cologne? We used to have a guy that visited my office in Cleveland, Tennessee, and he, he wore uh, aftershave or cologne, whatever it was. It was a lot. So when he would leave my office, he left a, he left a residual, some smell behind. And my uh, office staff would come in, and they would, they would say it quietly, but they would say, desperate, desperate, desperate. He's desperate. He was a young man. He was single. He was about 35 years old. <laughs> he was desperate. When Aaron was anointed, it changed the atmosphere. When you are covered with the power of God, you are atmospheric changing. You, you make a difference in your family. You make a difference on the job. You make a difference in the community. Wherever you go, you bring God's presence with you. You understand? You have been clothed. Yes. Oh, yes, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the internal facing. We're filled. We're comforted. We're guided. We're, we're, we're shepherded. We're, we're built up. We're, we're empowered on the inside. But there's also this outward facing where we're clothed with power. So wherever we go, we affect the atmosphere. We touch people's lives. Smith Wigglesworth, great minister, the earliest, early 20th century, a lot of miracles in his ministry, very committed to God, learned to read so he could read the Bible. At one point, he was really walking with God, very closely with God, and God was using him dramatically. He was on a train in England. He was in a train car with about five other people, and he's sitting over in the corner reading the Bible. And uh, after a while, he doesn't say a word. He doesn't preach to anybody. He doesn't try to witness to anybody. He's just reading God's word, reflecting, looking at the window, praying. 
He gets up and goes to the restroom. He comes back into the car, and as he comes into the car, one of the guys jumps up and falls on his knees and says, you convict me of my sin. And before it was over, everybody in the train car received Jesus Christ because the power, the glory of God was so strong in his life, it affected the atmosphere. I want that kind of anointing. I want that kind of power in my life. I want to be a supernatural Christian. I don't want to live my whole life and nothing ever supernatural happen. This is way below what God intends for me. Are you willing to live your life for the rest of your life and nothing ever supernatural happen in your life? What kind of Christianity is that? You say, well, I'm afraid of being weird. Well, get over that. Now, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He, he's not going to embarrass you, but I hate to tell you, you're already weird. You're in church on a Sunday morning. Come on. You're already weird. You love Jesus. You believe in him. So get over that kind of stuff and let God use your life and be a testimony for him and be clothed with the supernatural. I also want to be clothed with the supernatural because I am in a battle. So if the worship team would come on, Lord, and if you'll bring them up. I'm clothed. I want to be, I'm in a battle. Smith Ugersworth would say, by the way, great faith is the product of great fights. And we're all in a great fight. Paul says this in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. He would say later on in Corinthians, I fought wild beasts in Ephesus. Most people don't believe he fought lions and tigers. They believe this was his battle with the spiritual. Ephesus was the principal city of Asia Minor, was a stronghold of darkness and demonic powers. Paul writing back to them says, you guys are in a wrestling match there. In fact, to Timothy, who would be the pastor of this group, he says, you need to learn how to fight the good fight of faith. In fact, remember all the prophecies you got, Timothy, because you're going to need them in the battle you're in. You're in Ephesus, after all. Place of high spiritual warfare. Great church, one of the best churches of the New Testament, but high, high spiritual warfare. So Paul uses this terminology, we wrestle, we wrestle. This was a word that the Greek mind would understand well because in most Greek cities, there was a wrestling hall. Uh, they called it the palestra in the Greek. It was a place where people fought. Now it was sort of like a gym, except it focused on the sport of wrestling. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it, this, is, this was a big sport. Many times it was wrestling to the death. For the Greek mind, they understood immediately what Paul was saying. Hey, you're wrestling, but you're not wrestling flesh and blood. You're wrestling these invisible things. Therefore, you need to be equipped invisibly for the wrestling match. You need the oil to cover you. Enrique, come out here. Thank you, sir. You didn't pick up your guitar this time. Good job. Come on out here. So when you went to the palestra, the... Actually, in the Greek, it means house of conflict. When you went to this place of conflict, the first thing you did was you would go into a room where you would um, take a bath. You'd get completely washed off. You'd wash all the dirt, all the filth, everything uh, that you'd brought in from the world around you so you would be clean. 
Then you would go into, come over this way, Enrique. You would go into another room. This is sort of the training room. And in this room, the trainer would take oil, olive oil, and he would rub it all over your skin. You'd get sort of a massage. Let me help you out here, son. Good. And in doing that, it would seal the pores of your skin. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. But then, but then, most importantly, before you got in the ring, he would take oil and just pour it over your body. He would put oil on top of oil. So you may have seen pictures of this or some illustration of this. The wrestlers would be glistening with oil when they went into the ring. They were slick, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Now, the reason for that is when they got in the ring and they began to wrestle. Now, Greek wrestling was done from a standing position and the goal was to throw your opponent down. And then, of course, you could kill him in some of the wrestling matches. But the goal was to get him on the ground. And you won by throwing your opponent, by knocking him down, by pulling him down. So as they wrestled, they would try to grab each other. But if you were slick, it was pretty hard to do. I'm going to get you this time. Slick, oily, covered, clothed in oil. One of the things they would try to do is grab the arm of the person they were wrestling against and pull them down. I think we have an illustration. That's the palestra. Here's an illustration in a Greek fresco. This is real, ancient. Uh, they didn't have the shorts on in the fresco. We put those on. We wanted to make sure Pastor Chris was okay after this message. But you see, one of the wrestlers has got a hold on the other's arm. Okay. Now, this was very difficult to do if they were covered in oil because you'd just slip off. But the old wise wrestlers that had been through a lot of matches, here's what they would do. They would put sand, dirt, rocks, small pebbles, rosin, we would call it, in their hand. And as they started wrestling, they would start hitting a spot. And they'd hit that spot. They'd hit it over and over and over again. And after a while, they would rub the oil off of that spot they could get a hold on him. And then they would pull the person to the ground. You did good. Give him a hand. He did great. Thanks, man. Go get your guitar. Now, isn't this like our enemy? In this wrestling match we're in with the invisible, we're covered with the Holy Spirit. We put on this supernatural clothing. We're covered in the oil of God, and yet he starts hitting a place in our life over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but I mean, I know about me. There are certain things that just irritate me. I'm not going to mention any names. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Once, you know, it is, a, it is uh, significant. Listen closely. If the devil learns that something bothers you, He'll use it over and over and over again until it stops bothering you. You need to remember that lesson. Write that down. Don't let it bother me because if it does, he's going to use it again. Maybe it's a temptation. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's your bank account. Every time you look at it, man, it's just killing you. And Satan is using that to rub against the oil, against the Holy Spirit, against the work of God in your life so he can get you at some point and pull you down and destroy your life. What's the answer? 
Lord, come out here. I, I got a feeling that worship leaders get hit regularly. Yeah. You don't have to tell me what it is. But there's certain, <laughs> there's certain things that hit you over and over again, over and over again. And if you let it, Satan will grab that and pull you down with it. So what's the answer? You got to get over here again to the training room. You got to get back to the trainer and say, Lord, I need you to cover me again. I want to be clothed with the Holy Spirit so I can win this battle and I can demonstrate your goodness, your love, your peace to a world that needs you desperately. Cover me, clothe me, put this oil on me, Jesus, please, so I can win the battle. Amen. Thank you, Lauren. So this morning, if you're here, you say, Dr. Wilson, the truth is I've been trying to cover my own failures and sins and it's not working. Every time I come into this church, I, I feel vulnerable. I, I know things aren't right. I know it's not good with me before God. I need help. I need forgiveness. I need covering. I need to be clothed in Jesus' righteousness. That's true in just a moment as the worship team sings. I want you to go out that door. Just turn to the left. We'll have a prayer team that's there waiting for you to help lead you into the steps of how to follow Jesus and become his disciple and be clothed in his righteousness. Or today you may say, Dr. Wilson, I, I believe in Jesus. I believed in the cross, but I, I'm not living full of the Holy Spirit. I, I've never received this. I've never been immersed in the Holy Spirit. I've never put on the supernatural clothing of the Holy Spirit. I'm living a very natural life, too natural. I need the power of God in my life. If that's you, again, go. Someone will help pray for you, lay hands on you, and believe that God will fill you with His Holy Spirit. But perhaps most importantly this morning in this room, there's a bunch of us that the oil has worn thin. Our clothing of power has waned. And instead of living in strong power with God, we're living in great weakness, beat up in this wrestling match we're in. And today we need to get back to the trainer and say, Lord, take the oil and cover me again. I want to be clothed in your power. If you're in this room and there's a place in your life, the enemy just keeps on hitting. And you need the trainer to cover you in his presence today for the battle you're in. I want you to stand right now. I want to pray for you before we dismiss. Come on, just stand up. Say, Dr. Wilson, I need a covering. I need a clothing of God's power in my life in a fresh way. I need a renewal of the Holy Spirit. I need the oil to be fresh on me. I'm in the ring right now. I'm fighting invisible powers and forces. They're working on my mind and my marriage and my family. I need an oil that makes me strong against the enemy. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just lift your hands. I want to pray for you. And as I pray, I want you to let the Holy Spirit cover you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. Let him fill you up on the inside, but also cover you for the battle you're in. Father, I pray right now. I pray right now. I pray right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us up cover our lives. We're in a battle, Lord, in the 21st century that's unlike any generation, perhaps. Here we are in Tulsa, Oklahoma, with all of the demons of hell that have gathered here through time. 
And Lord, we're wrestling against them every day in our home, our family, our job, our work. Help us, Lord, to put on the Holy Spirit today in a fresh way and cover us in the oil of heaven for this wrestling match we're in so that we may win against principalities and powers. I pray for every person right now under the sound of my voice. Where the devil has hit them, I pray the Holy Spirit would hit them. Where the devil has rubbed them again and again and attacked them again and again, I pray the Holy Spirit would strengthen them for the days ahead. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That this that has bothered them so much won't bother them anymore. They'll be covered in the oil. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.